What's that place you've always wanted to try? While well, you're there, sharing plates with just one bite. Or on second thought, maybe not sharing. It's that good. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. For the love of fall, Starbucks pumpkin spice lattes and pumpkin cream cold brews are back. Smooth espresso dashed with pumpkin pie spice and velvety whipped cream. Or cold brew topped with pumpkin cream cold foam fit for the season. Your pumpkin awaits. Order today in the Starbucks app. Have you thought about spirituality lately? I think we're in a collective mind state as a people in growing spirituality. We're seeing that it's becoming more and more important in the world that we live in. But honestly, it's nothing new. Spirituality, whatever form it may be, is very ancient. But I'm excited that people are turning more and more towards seeing what's bigger than themselves, whether that's through religion, mindfulness, meditation, understanding the universe better. The more we think about what is bigger than ourselves, I believe the more joy that we'll experience in our lives. My guest today is Dr. Anuj Shah. Dr. Shah is just a great guy and someone as a doctor who is really trying to take spirituality and putting, putting it as a really important aspect of his practice with patients. So let's jump into the conversation that I have with Dr. Shah as we really dive deep into spirituality and medicine. I grew up in India. India is considered the spiritual capital of the world. Um, I'm not from like Varanasi where, you know, which is considered the spirituality like center, epicenter, I would say. But I'm from uh, Gujarat, which is a state not too far from there. And, you know, from back, like, you know, back in the school days, you know, growing up, there is always a little emphasis on spirituality. In all honesty, I never took it seriously. I never thought much of it as a child. I went through the entire Western medicine, you know, I learned all about, you know, the the pill popper and pill pusher, as they say, mm-hmm. you know. And then, you know, through uh, going through personal pain, seeing pain of, uh, you know, my patients, seeing pain of, uh, you know, family members of my patients, I realized and recognized that there is something always lacking in mm-hmm. the Western philosophy uh, in the way things go. And that little lack can, is actually a little bit of spirituality. And giving that tool, giving that ammunition, um, enable people and folks to get over so many of their challenges, health challenges, physical health, mental health, emotional health. And uh, spirituality, I think, is at the core of different domains in life. You know, no matter how, what, how you define well-being and mm-hmm. wellness, uh, but I think spirituality is truly at the core. So I feel like I've made a full 360-degree circle. Now I'm back, and I go back to my parents and my family members, and now I sort of get it. So at this point in the conversation, Dr. Shaw was really providing a platform to dive deeper into spirituality. So I wanted to understand a little bit more about what was that moment like? What was the kind of apex of where he realized that spirituality was really important? in his practice? I think uh, if I have to trace it back, I would say uh, it's personal. You know, I mean, obviously I've been through um, some personal stress and and tragedies as well as 
my patients, right? So what? So part of my job is to do interventional cardiology, which means that when somebody has a heart attack, you know, somebody's arteries shut down, they go into cardiac arrest, they come to the hospital, you know, we're pumping on their chest, we are trying to open the blockages and all that stuff. And there's so much energy goes into it, physical energy, you know, I obviously work hard, my team works hard. Uh, sometimes these uh, cases don't go like just the, the procedure time itself. There is after two, three hours of procedure, there is two, three days of time when things are lingering. You know, we have done the best that we could. Uh, the nurses are doing the best that they could in the in the intensive care setting. And, and even then, there are moments when we have no idea which way things are gonna go. And as a doctor, as a, as a provider, it, it shakes you to the core. It really does because you become the big, biggest cheerleader for those patients, you know, like who are going through this intense tragedy along with the family members and you're all keeping fingers crossed and hoping and when the results go amazing and in your favor you feel great when they they don't not so much you feel miserable and shitty and and and, then, mm-hmm. and you you harbor this feeling and you're like what is it and then you realize and recognize that letting go oftentimes is the most difficult task but it it oftentimes is the best remedy Letting go doesn't mean letting go of just giving up. Letting go means letting go of that element of control and allowing that uh, thought that sometimes we don't have control. Even with the best, you know, modern medicine, even with providing mm-hmm. the most, uh, you know, invasive strategy and whatnot. So I remember, you know, this moment when, you know, I had this really young guy in his uh, late 30s. Um, you know, young young guy, you know, recently married, they were expecting a baby. And, he, you know, he went through this, this intense, massive heart attack, which unfortunately is still very common. We yeah. see it's actually making a resurgence. And, you know, we did everything in our capacity. And then just he was comatose for days. He had already suffered from some brain injury and whatnot. And it was very frustrating. After spending hours seeing that he's not gonna come out of it. Um, at the same time, when this is happening, my very good friend, uh, my best friend, I would say, that growing up in India had a massive heart attack, same age, 38. And, mm. uh, and you know, unfortunately, he didn't make it. Oh, wow. And just something shook me to the core. And I'm like, you know, I, I couldn't even recognize or realize why these things happened. And, you know, it, it, you, you start learning the power of spirituality. This is when... So you need, I always say you need a little entrance in the in the window, you know. So vulnerability, vulnerable moments, uh, tragedy, personal tragedies, you know, um, allows that, you know, that light to penetrate, so to say. And then you recognize that there is something bigger you need to believe in. Um, mm. Because at the end of the day, you know, we are all atoms and particles, right? At the right. end of the day, we are all mass and energy. So once you start thinking along this, and spirituality is broad, you know, for someone, yes. spirituality is very religious concept. For me, it's it's bigger and more broader um, mm-hmm. than like one particular religion. And, you know, working in New York and New Jersey enables me to see people from multiple different cultures, multiple different faiths, a lot of immigrants, a lot of people who have different ideas and faith. And I think the final common denominator is the idea of believing in something which is larger than all of us. Right. And I think that's spirituality. So I don't know, maybe that kind of shaped into this, but then I went through a lot of training. So yeah, I would quote that as probably the moment for me that I truly knew that modern medicine is is not enough. Wow. 
Do you think that that is a growing sentiment among your colleagues, or do you think that you're different in that aspect? No, I think it is. It is absolutely growing. Uh, I'm. I. You know. I'm. I'm not that different. I think there's a lot of people in our generation now believes. Um, you know, so spirituality is becoming, you know, the new buzzword. Spirituality is the is right. the is the core now, the mainstay that that we believe. There's the science behind it. See, the being a physician, being in medicine, like makes people a sort of, I won't say cynical, but skeptical. Right. People become skeptics, and we are so used to follow evidence-based medicine. You know, everything requires evidence. You know, <laughs> right. and, and they always say that <laughs> the absence of proof is not proof of absence. Mm -hmm. So you don't necessarily need proof of everything, but but there is that desire that if there is some kind of proof, we love it. So lately we are getting so many new studies coming out showing actually, uh, scientific studies showing that people who are more optimistic, people who are who have had a chance of more emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, they actually end up doing better all across the board, no matter what yeah. physical condition, what psychological condition, whether it's a heart attack, risk of getting heart attack, surviving from a heart attack, same thing in cancer, in oncology, we are seeing a lot of studies coming out. So now we have robust evidence coming out saying that spirituality actually is phenomenal, it works, it helps people cope more, it helps people uh, actually get through some of the sickness and illness. With so much talk about spirituality, I wanted to dive in a little bit deeper with Dr. Shah about how he's able to disseminate his information about spirituality with his patients. And as many of us know, doctors have pretty large patient loads. So I was interested to see how that information came to be and how he works through the difficulties of uh, having to see so many patients and talk about spirituality. It is um, it is a struggle sometimes roping in those conversations. Not only there is a little bit of time. You don't know individuals' faith. You don't know individuals' right. core beliefs. Um, so I look for an opening. I look for a window okay. of opportunity. You know, I allow. Uh, I believe that I, as a doctor, you should give your patients to this the space to feel vulnerable. So when you allow them to feel that space where they can be vulnerable in front of you, they can pour their heart. It's very easy to say, right? As a cardiologist, it's very easy for me to go and tell my patients that, hey, stop smoking. <laughs> right. you know, you're going to eat healthy. Why are you not exercising? Yeah. And, and honestly, everyone sort of knows these things. Everyone knows that they should be eating healthy. They should be exercising. They should not smoke. Healthier habits. The, the problem is not that people don't know healthy habits. Mm -hmm. The problem is people don't know how to form those healthy habits. And that's when you have to dig in a little bit deeper that, hey, so you know that you almost died and you, you know, miraculously you survived. Um, and that should waken up something in you. You know, that should waken up in uh, something in people because it's a it's a transformational experience. Right. I mean, yeah. when you are almost, uh, you know, going through this catastrophic conditions and even then sometimes you don't see it. So they, that opens up that kind of conversation that what do you believe in? You know, what are your beliefs? Like why? And then you recognize that there is uh, either an underlying lack of awareness about bigger picture. And in some people, it's actually much stronger. So I ask patients who are doing actually phenomenal. I ask them, I'm like, this is great. Can you please teach me? Can you teach me like, how are you saying so positive when you mm -hmm. go back? 
And then like I ask my patients who are not feeling so positive and I say, hey, like what is it that's holding you back? And, and knowing and recognizing what's making them feel positive versus not, um, it's amazing. Same physical conditions, same disease pattern, and the response is tremendously different. And part of the reason is one person is truly motivated and motivation comes from, I think, a lot of motivation comes from people who feel spiritually strong. So I learned from them and, and those where I feel like there is an opportunity to talk about it, I bring up the conversation and, you know, right. I talk a lot, a lot about meditation, the impact that meditation has on, uh, you know, on feeling centered, on the impact that meditation has on feeling, um, you know, healthier. Uh, you know, I have a patient who, uh, who actually, while I'm doing her vein procedures, she goes into the Zen space and mm. uh, it's really cool to see the reactions and responses. So, Wow, that's amazing. Would you say that a lot of your patients have a spiritual base when you, you, like you find out that they do? Or would you say it's kind of mixed here and there with people? I think everyone has a spiritual base. Yeah. I think everyone, every individual has one. It's, uh, for some, it's developed to an amazing degree and then they are very aware of it. Yeah. Uh, religion helps. People who are religious, people who practice religion in a regular way, I, I do see that, at least in my small experience, you know, um, yeah. small, uh, I would say small subset. Um, I think it's proven actually, uh, also statistically and larger population that religion actually does strengthen spirituality. Um, there are people, you know, who are not quite there yet, but I think, mm -hmm. you know, I, I believe that going through vulnerable experiences opens something in, in most folks and then they... Yeah. They, they do uh, become spiritual to a degree. You know, there are always people who believe in it to a degree, but they may not recognize the impact it has on the heart. So right. it requires a level of understanding that, uh, that I'm seeing more and more. It's interesting. I think, you know, I do see also in what I do that, you know, spirituality, there's more of a conversation related to it. But in the whole spectrum of wellness, which is a very large kind of all yeah. health buzz now. Everybody says wellness, but my estimation always is, I don't know that they necessarily know what it means when we say it. Yeah, so it, is, it you, is a lot of, uh, I call wellness as this, um, this uh, you know, the story of the uh, elephant and the seven blind men. It's a very popular story in India. I don't know it. It's, no. it's like, uh, you know, as a, as, a, as, a, as a kid, you always hear this story where, seven blind people walk in a room and they touch the elephant and one touches the trunk of the elephant and think mm -hmm. it's like one thing, other one touches the belly of the elephant and thinks another thing. And, you know, eventually like they, they realize that it's a whole elephant, you know. It's a very popular story mm. in Indian uh, society. I think that's what wellness is. It's different to different people because, but, but we are all sort of blinded to one degree or the other, you know. So when we look at the full spectrum, I think wellness is, Physical wellness, emotional wellness, uh, spiritual wellness, um, you know, it's psychological wellness. Uh, there's so many different domains of, of wellness. So I think it's a whole spectrum and everything. We need to work on everything. So, you know, I tie spirituality with gratitude. I tie spirituality with, uh, with mindfulness. I tie spirituality with um, meditation. You know, I tie, you know, I think gratitude to me is one of the biggest things. You know, if you, more people feel grateful about things, um, you know, their perspective changes, you know, so their, their attitude changes towards their health, 
the same person can have a horrible experience, have a heart attack and come back and say, why me? Like, why did I go through this? Right. Why do I have to take these medications? Why do I suffer from the shortness of breath and whatnot? Versus the same disease condition and somebody has tremendous gratitude and they say, oh, I got a chance to get through this and survive this. And I feel grateful that now modern medicine and you know we have all these tools available to strengthen me and get me stronger and get back. So it's very different how uh, people react to it. Do you find that when you know you have these conversations with uh, patients that when they come back, let's say maybe the three six months, that they their outlook has improved or they're they're taking in that information like they're actually receiving it versus going, yeah, thanks for telling me to do this stuff, you know. So what I recognize, at least um, what I've seen, is it bigger the event, bigger the response. Whoa. Okay. So those who had a major stroke, those who had a major heart attack, those who had uh, had to go for uh, you know a major surgery, I see bigger transformation. Hmm. Um, those who had less of sort of that uh, catastrophe, um, I see less of a reaction. This is just a personal observation. Yeah, yeah. And so I always tell them that you know when when someone actually is going through this, I actually go and I tell them that you don't realize what a blessing in disguise this probably is for you. You have right. lived all your life going through making unhealthy choices, uh, you know, whatever your risk factors were, whether you know you chose never to stop smoking, you never appreciated your family, you never appreciated your own health. You know, you took this body for granted. You, you, <laughs> you know, you took all these things for granted. And now that this bad sort of bad thing happened, what seems bad on the surface, guess what? This is going to change the trajectory of the rest of your life. And, uh, and people, people recognize that, you know. But there is still need for more. I mean, I, I, I would be the first one to admit modern medicine doesn't facilitate these kind of convos as much as it should. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no, you know, there is no incentive, so, so to say, for most right. healthcare providers to even, even bring this up, except for you can, you can see that this actually allows the patient to live longer and faster. So yeah, there's still a lot of work in this space. When you say incentive, is it also there's there's no monetary incentive essentially yeah. as well, right? To have, right, so and a lot of, unfortunately for a lot of individuals, sometimes if that monetary incentive is not there, it, it decreases their effort for those things. So I wonder what what keeps you continuing to do that without that type of incentive for yourself. Well, I think if you think about it, my patients live longer. I'm mm-hmm. gonna make more money. So that is incentive to make patients live longer. This is, I think, <laughs> good, how good uh, answer. Think, right? <laughs> so this is how I look at it. It's like, um, yeah. you know, I want my patients to be healthy. I want my patients to be happy. I want them to, uh, you know, if you are truly their cheerleader, you know, for them, you want them to go through more. It, it, it absolutely, you know. And again, you can't look at life in like you know tangible, like you know, uh, what are you getting back? you know, immediately. No, yeah, like it's a, it's a long game, you know, it's a compound interest, you know. I always say, so if your patients are doing the right thing, they're motivated, um, they're going to keep coming back to you. You know, they become your biggest fans, you know, they become your your cheerleader. They want your success. They want to come back. Um, and it helps, you know, it helps. Business-wise, it helps. You know, I'm an entrepreneur, obviously. So mm-hmm. so I recognize that, you know, but, but I wish that the payers, uh, the healthcare agencies, the government would recognize the need, you know, because it's not everyone can think this way. 
not everyone ha- can look at that. You know, I look at like 30 years, 40 years from now. You know, I want all these ravishing fans, you know, who, uh, who are my patients <laughs> and I want them. But but not everyone's looking at this large picture. So I think it would be amazing if somehow it's tied to payment also. But, you know, we'll see. Do you think that, you know, when you're going through your, you know, medical school training, is, is that is is there an emphasis on that or is it really not on the kind of the extra attention these things? It didn't seem like it is from what I know from a lot of my colleagues. When, well, like yeah, when I went to med school, uh, absolutely not. You know, yeah. I mean, just things where we, I mean, people roll their eyes, you know, you talk about this stuff. When I went through med school training, even right now, I mean, people, you know, some people call this like a voodoo, like, you know, they say, yeah. you know, stuff. Um no, it's not well respected. It's not well recognized. It's if anything, it's a little bit frowned upon. It's changing, fortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, um, wellness is becoming part of the mainstream. Uh, you know, there is money tied if you think about it. Um, also, a little bit, right? So, so I think the unfortunately the way the current scenario is, everything is divided into spectrum, right? And within the spectrum, the sickness is what the entire healthcare system is revolving around entire medical school training, residency, right. health, all those things is more fixated on sickness, which is the tip of the iceberg. And then 90% uh, under the ice, you know, under the water is is the other end of the spectrum is not well reimbursed. But now it's getting more mainstream. So things like Headspace, you know, things, mm-hmm. apps like Headspace or apps like Calm, meditation apps, uh, you know, spirituality apps now, they are getting, getting more and more mainstream. So I do see the newer generation of med- medical students, newer generation of people who are training, feel more, way more comfortable talking about this. I, I was actually, uh, you know, there's like some forums where I follow and I teach students and, and I see that they do have a much higher level of awareness than when we were in training. So it's definitely becoming a little bit more mainstream, which is great, you know. Um, you know, and we also have more tools now to measure. Mm. Uh, you know, the impact of this thing. So especially with the wearable devices, right? We have the Aura Ring, you have the fit, fitness devices. We can actually measure uh, the wellness now. We can measure yeah. the impact of gratitude, impact of spirituality based on the autonomic nervous system. So we can see heart rate variability of people who are practicing those things versus not. And now we have data to support it. See, medicine makes you like want to follow things where data is. Yeah. Now that you have data supporting these things, I think people are going to follow more and more. What is proof of something? I think we're all very driven to understand kind of the data, the science behind the things that we believe in. But there's also things that are just mysterious and we don't know why they are. As we started winding even further into the conversation with Dr. Shaw, I was interested in his take on the data behind you know, gratitude and happiness and things of that nature, but also how some of those things are just, just out there and the aspect of proof related to that. So we're gonna dive a little bit more into that. Yeah, I think this is a billion dollar question. There's a lot of companies working mm-hmm. on objectifying uh, happiness. There are a lot of scores we see, questionnaires we see based on you know satisfaction, based on how you feel, uh, emotional positiveness. Um, a lot of stuff is coming out. You know, there are apps called there are apps which is actually um, you know demonstrating now. 
So another big space is, is for example, uh, psychological conditions like antidepressants. Mm-hmm. Now there are apps which are proven to actually show it can eliminate uh, and uh, does a better job than even uh, antidepressant medications, for example. Oh, wow. Uh, so, and then, you know, those obviously, they need to prove because again, it's a billion dollar industry. Sure, so sure. The way they do that is based on questionnaires. There is a patient satisfaction surveys. So there's a little bit science behind spirituality that's also coming out. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there is actually a couple of studies that just recently came out uh, where they did a pessimism score and optimism score. Uh-huh. Based on those scores, they saw that the higher the, the pessimistic score was, worse the outcomes were. So now there's a little bit science now proving this stuff. Uh, but you're right. I mean, there is this... Uh, there's mystery the- sometimes, though, you know? Yeah, sometimes it's mystery, you know, and then you got you gotta. I always tell my patients, right, that they get a heart attack, for example. Like mm-hmm. this is what I do, uh, you know. I deal with cardiac blockage, so I keep coming back to the same example. But you don't choose in your life. Yeah, you choose, you know, you choose a life lifestyle at some point, right? So you, right. you know, you chose not to exercise, you chose not to eat healthy or, or smoke and all that. But you didn't choose when, you know, where you get this heart attack. Heart attack is usually like blockage of one of the arteries that suddenly shuts down. You don't get to choose which artery is shutting down, whether it's shutting down your heart, in the brain, within the heart, whether it's the main artery that feeds the front wall or the back wall or the right coronary artery. There are so many random chances that plays a role. And that tiny fraction of moment when the plaque ruptures, where Mm -hmm. somebody had formed a blockage over years and within that split second, it's literally considered if you consider it's microsecond split point where that plaque ruptures and one of the arteries will shut down you have no idea which artery you don't know how much extent that artery is going to be you know how much damage it's going to cause uh, to the heart and the entire trajectory of your life your family's life is going to change and you have no control over that so with all yeah. the proofs that we have we kind of know that if we navigate in this direction we're going to get there but 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 precise GPS of a life, you're far from there. And I don't think we're ever going to get it. So. I agree with that. I don't think we're, I think it's just, you can't have proof of everything. And life is, this things just happen, you know? Yeah. And so I wonder how, like when you were going, you are talking to all these patients, how do you deal with patients who maybe, you know, we were talking about this positive outlook, Like you're talking to me. I'm totally into it. I'm totally all about it. What are people, about well, people keep coming back and they never change their mindset. Yeah, that means that there is still room um, to keep looking for that vulnerable space within them. Mm. You know, trying to find out what is it that how, I mean, everybody makes decisions, right, in their lives based on something. They have certain core values, core beliefs, and it really comes down to how they are perceiving the world, their own world, you know, how they're perceiving. So, when somebody is not making the obvious choices they should be making, I always keep looking into what drives them. Yeah. What is their driving force? You know, we always say the gut is the biggest GPS we have. You know, most people want to think that they are thinking from the brain, which is the neocortex. But in reality, we all, majority of our decisions are emotional through the gut. So it's, it's the, the limbic system in the brain. Exactly. Which, which are more primal needs, right? So that drives the decision. So... So, and you know, I, I read this in a book recently where limbic system, the emotional decision-making system is the big elephant that always wants to make a decision. And neocortex is that the guy who writes that elephant and, and, and you know, can stir like where you make those decisions. So 
I like to think, I like to do assess my patients where they keep questioning and challenging this thing is, are they make, are they someone who's making decisions super analytical uh, through their neocortex who like they're thinking too much and, and they, they like sort of the proof or are they emotional beings? You know, they are making decisions and more people do make more emotional decisions and, and which is great because cognitive mastery is one thing, emotional mastery is, is, is what that truly leads to transformation. So I look for that uh, opening if you can find one, you know, and, and oftentimes, for example, there are certain old folks, they say, oh, if I die, I die, I don't care. Yeah. But then you talk to them that, you know, death may even be a blessing sometimes. And, they're, they're, you know, so you, you can find a vulnerable space when we talk about their family. They're like, yeah, I don't mind dying, but I want to make sure my family is taken care of or they are not suffering. So I always look for that opening where what, what drives them. And, uh, and oftentimes it is there. You know, we get, you know, yeah. there are blind spots around it, so we don't see it. But you dig enough, you get get into this history and you find that everyone has certain triggers, which which makes those emotions pouring and that drives the decision. So um, I don't know. It's an exploration, you know, uh, yeah. but it works. You find it. So how is your work as a doctor, how has it influenced your personal life and how you live on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, I, I, I live with gratitude. I think gratitude is truly the secret sauce. Um, I feel truly blessed being able to be in, in the field of cardiology. What I do, it's one of those rare things where we can make an impact that, that, you, know, that you can see the result very quickly. Uh, oftentimes very gratifying result, oftentimes not so much. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had experiences where, you know, like really bad things happen. So I do require a very strong emotional core. And I feel like this, being in this field, being in this profession, um, enables me to feel that gratitude on a daily basis. You know, most people would have to do charity. They would have to go out of their way to make a difference versus like, I'm blessed that I feel like I can just every day, I can do small things, big things that can make uh, an impact on people's lives and then that helps. So I live life with uh, feeling very grateful. Uh, you know, so a lot of gratitude. I do try to practice meditation as much as I can. Mm -hmm. um, I talk a lot about it. I, <laughs> I sometimes uh, slip up, uh, you know, and uh, you know, my friends of anyone listening, they're probably laughing it's like you said this, but then I, I tell them that, oh, I, I, you know, we compete on headspace to see who does more, more meditation for a longer number of days. And yeah, always, uh, I always break my streak. So, uh, but I try to be <laughs> as much as possible and, you know, really try to feel grounded as much as you can. I try to, um, you know, even during work, like when things go crazy in between, I try to take a pause, mental pause and try to just center myself. Uh, and that helps. So yeah, it, it has helped me, you know, going through the ups and downs of lives, um, uh, you know, exercise. And, you know, again, you see really bad things happening to people and then make you appreciate life a lot more. And, yeah. say, you know, blessed to be feeling healthy. Right. You know, it's interesting. You, you seem to have a, you seem extremely grounded and have a very, very centered approach to medicine and working with people. Um, how have you taken that? And now as you're spreading that out with like media, so I talked to Kristen about, you know, working with doctors, what, 
what was your approach with that, you know, PR for doctors and kind of how did you get into that? Um, no, it's just, uh, just a matter. I think there is a need, right? The yeah. medical community is interesting. We, I feel like we have wealth of information. We have wealth of data, um, but not just information and data. We have wealth of personal experiences. I think if you go to a doctor's lounge in any hospital, everyone has a story. Everyone has a vulnerable side. And somehow, uh, as a medical community, we don't do a, as good of a job as other communities in terms of getting that voice across. So it's great that, you know, currently with media, things have gone a little bit easier to get that voice out. Uh, there are blog sites now where doctors write regularly. Everyone has a story, that one tiny story of, um, of one patient. And that one story can, can transform like lives if you focus on it. So I feel like it's very important and essential that uh, now the medical community has this voice, you know, and there are so many different outlets now uh, to get that voice out. So I'm actually, um, you know, I'm very happy and excited. It's exciting times, you know, any you know, anyone who has a great story and, uh, you know, you can emotionally connect with other people. Now there are outlets that you can go and you connect with people. Do you feel that, you know, things like this, doing podcasts or different media appearances that they humanize doctors a bit more? It feels more like you're closer to the doctor. And it's just not this figure or somebody, oh, that's a doctor. I'll break you know, it they're too, very so. 19, <laughs> there was a recent study that said 95% of doctors are humans. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> and he has jokes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you do. No, it's, it's, I think true, right? it's, like, you know? it's like one of those things that, and that's in a, the corporate world is sort of taking over medical world as well. And, mm. you know, if you, it's so funny. You go to some of those corporate meetings, like, you know, because, you know, healthcare is now governed, a lot of healthcare is governed by corporates. Right. And they do want to train, like, you know, doctors. And, and one of the PowerPoint presentation we get is, how to come across as humans, you know, like, really, uh, you know, yeah. And it, it's kind of funny when you, you listen to it, but they, they teach you, they're like, oh, you're a doctor. Like, this is how you come across, you know, so people can think they can connect with you more and better, which I find it silly. I think everybody should have interviewed, yeah. but uh, hey, there are PowerPoint presentations on this now. So. <laughs> I mean, maybe they saw that it's potentially a need, you know, yeah. there may be. Not maybe not always a bunch of Dr. Shaw's running around there. You know, yeah. there's no, but but you know, you know, to to their defense, yes, medical culture, medical training can can sometimes suck that thing out of uh, yeah out of you because you see you see so much of the same thing that everything everything becomes like a number, everything becomes a chart. Like you know, when yeah. you look at a person laying, you don't look at the person laying. You look at elevated white count and you know low platelet count, and you look at their you know, poor heart ejection fraction, and you look at like their creatinine is high. Everything becomes number yeah. rather than a person. And and then you look at the person and you're like, what do these people actually need? And what do their family members actually need? You know, and not like this uh, 10 different system combination. So it is important for doctors to feel humanized again. And it's important that patient can see that human side. Well, I think, you know, uh, Chris and I were discussing how like these kind of long form conversations are really critical. Because, you know, somebody could say, hey, you know, you should go see Dr. Shah. And they'd be like, okay, um, there's a lot of doctors out there. But all of a sudden, you're getting to learn, like, what is Dr. Shah like? How does he deal with patients? How does he interact on his own life and, and those right. things? That's becoming more important. And, like, you start developing these connections with, with your service, your medical provider. Like, hey, this is a human being. He actually cares yeah. about me. 
Yeah, I absolutely. I think opening that window, you know, the fourth wall, they call it in media, like you actually get yes. what's going on. So it's tricky, you know, I think in medicine compared to other professions, I would think, mm-hmm. um, you know, because there is a little bit stigma about getting a little too attached with your patient. <clears throat> patients getting too attached, you know, they call it transference and counter-transference. Yeah, yeah. Where you, you know, you look at uh, patients and family members and, you know, at one point it was frowned upon if you get too involved. Like they say, you can deal with a lot of sickness and then when bad things happen, like you should be able to like end that, like, you know, when you leave the hospital and uh-huh. you know, not, not carry back with you. I think it's nearly impossible. How do you do that though? I mean, you know. Yeah, how do you do that, you know? nearly impossible it's um, it requires a lot of training you have to go through you know you need to learn a little emotional detachment because if you don't and if you take everything to the heart and to your core you may end up feeling very vulnerable and and this is why physicians do tend to have much higher i mean talk about well-being physician well-being is right now um at its lowest you know it's an epidemic heard about this yeah it's uh you know, physicians have the highest burnout rate. They say the depression rate is very high. Physician suicide rate is is one of you know through the through the roof right now. So it is a problem, and part of it is to do with the training. Part of it is uh, lack of resources we are given uh, as physician. I I can give you a very personal example. Very recently, I had a young guy. Um, you know, without obviously this is not HIPAA violation like that. Chris is probably watching. Uh, but, uh, you know, like when a person dies, for example, like you work hours and hours and hours trying to save this person. You know, I, I was there in the cath lab with my team and we tried three to four hours. The guy came in with like 16 shocks. His heart had stopped, you know, like a while before he even came to our cath lab. We tried everything in our capacity to save the person. Two and a half hours later, um, no luck. And these things happen. But there is no mechanism built in. So you you can um, cope with this. You can grieve yeah. with this. The mechanism is, uh, is the minute it's done, papers start. You have to do a t- you know, tons of paperwork. Just charting, charting, charting. And there's no grieving protocol. There's no debriefing protocol. And then just, they said that, oh, you should be so resilient that you, know, you move onward to the next case, next patient. You know? And I remember, like I, I did this, and then I had to go and round on 12 other patients. And uh, and I had to do all this paperwork, and I literally that it, we need we need better mechanism for for yeah. for doctors to cope with stress and you know um, you know allow that uh, vulnerability within them. So we don't see that a lot. Um, you know that's the way modern medicine is. They say yo, you need a little emotional detachment, but I think it's okay to feel pain for the patient and the family. Yeah. It truly makes you a better better doctor. If you become so mechanical that you you look at a thing and something bad happened, you said, okay, this was a patient, now this is my personal life, and you can separate them so easily, I think you may lose the art of being doctor a little bit. So that's just my personal belief. What do you think that happens after being in the profession for such a long time? Sometimes without those coping resources, you just go, you know, I don't want to feel terrible every time somebody has something terrible happen to them. So I'm just going to treat this very like a very transactional relationship yeah. with that. You think that's like when doctors have been doctors for a really long time? Yeah, every, everyone has their defense mechanism, right? Everyone everyone creates a defense mechanism to deal with, uh, you know, this, this uh, emotional encounters. And, uh, 
you know, I think my my defense mechanism is feeling grateful and feeling mm-hmm. gratitude. So I don't take it for granted. It's a privilege what we do. Um, it's a privilege to be a privilege being part of people's lives, you know, in a very vulnerable time. It does leave an impact on you. And I think it's OK to feel that, you know, it's OK yeah. to feel compassion for the family. It's OK to shed a tear, you know, if you if you feel it's OK to choke up and um, you know, that makes you, I think that makes you a better doctor. I think that makes yeah. you a better care provider. And then, you know, it makes you a better human because then you can yes. say, you know what, uh, it can make you a more spiritual being. You can say, you know what, I am very grateful. I can't tell you how many times I, you know, my parents live in India. I don't get a chance to, I don't get a chance. I'm sounding like a victim. I don't call them nearly <laughs> as much. And, you know, sometimes I see something in the, in the you know, in my patients and family and my very first reaction after I, I've dealt with this is, you know, I want to check on my parents, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm glad they're healthy. I'm glad they are okay. And, you know, spend some time. So it does make you truly a better human, more well-rounded. It's funny. It's funny. I think that there is some awakening happening about meeting our feelings. Because I think especially, at least for me growing up, you know, and, and my parents and their grandparents, there's this whole thing of like not showing emotion or just being this stoic individual. You know, yeah. the guy was just, nothing bothers me, you know, and I'm just fine. And I always Men thought that's so cry. weird. <laughs> Men don't cry. Like, it's just, I yeah. just thought that was so strange. Like, yeah. there's a lot of emotions being a person. Absolutely. We see that actually. We, we, we see that the bottled up emotions leading to high blood pressure, bottled emo- emotions leading to frustration. Um, you know, I think there is, we need to, we need to develop mechanisms where men can feel like it's okay to be emotional. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay if you want to cry. It's, it's, you know, it's, um, yeah, men's health is, is another, like, you know, there's a lot of buzz about women's health, which is obviously very, very important. Yeah, very positive. Uh, but men's health, there are certain aspects which, which are just forgotten. People, like, don't talk about it. It's like, oh, men are men and they'll deal with it. No, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, let them be emotional. You know, letting emotions out is, it's great for the health right there, but it also allows them to grow, you know, spiritually, you know, um, emotionally. So now we've been going really deep into the conversation with Dr. Shaw, and I just continue to be amazed at his humbleness and his very grounded nature. But I wanted to find out a little bit more of where he's going, what the future looks like in his eyes uh, with the profession and particularly where he's headed. So that's where we're going to jump in right now. I don't know. I don't think uh, it's the destination that matters. I think it's the journey mm-hmm. that matters a lot more. Um, you know, I think personally, I feel like uh, I'm in a good space, you know, good mind space. I do like taking care of my patients. I hope, you know, that that is uh, that can be conveyed, you know, with with actions and words. And, you know, when, when we talk to the patients, I think as a profession, we are growing. Um, definitely, you know, people are recognizing this need. I'm glad with all the movements that are happening in the wellness uh, space because the two end of the spectrums are finally colliding. People are yeah. realizing it's the same health. You know, um, I wish, you know, the regulatory bodies, the, the payers, the government, like they can see and recognize and 
and truly incentivize you know focusing more on the uh, on the wellness spectrum of things and not only keep paying for super sick super um, you know unhealthy stuff um, i feel there is a i think that we need a movement we need mm-hmm. a movement i as much as i love social media there's a whole another topic of conversation oh yeah of course i love social media i think it is it is somewhat taking away from emotional well-being for people you know it it sometimes can uh, can make people feel like wrong role models you know people get this into this craziness about the likes and clicks so i know that now even the big like tech companies are talking about changing like the way those things are and yep. you know bringing like more wellness into it um my you know one of my very good friends had, a, had this great idea is like rather than seeing how many likes people get why don't we look at uh, what's people's uh, emotional well-being score is you know Hmm. And what we brag about that, you know? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> how mindful you are, and how grateful you are, and you know, um, you know, what do you do for others? You know, uh, those things should be should get more uh, more attention. So, I I see that you know spiritual guys and you know like guys like Jay Setti, like who had no, you know, who was not that well known, and now he has like mm-hmm. millions of videos, you know, with those short messages. So, this is getting more and more popular. I hope it it you know now. the regulatory bodies and it gets incentivized in a way so medical community can finally feel open and there is truly a movement to bring all this together so i think we are heading in this direction yeah, a little bit at a slower pace than a lot slower yeah. pace than i would like but i think it's coming it's it sounds like it is emotional coming emotional revolution it's on its way i like that I like the spiritual emotional revolution, revolution. spiritual. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. I love that idea by the way about yeah. and I think even like certain places I Chris was telling me about, you know, like Instagram's getting rid of the likes or something like that. Yeah, I heard about and, that. Oh, that's actually probably a very good thing. Listen, technology and and healthcare is another whole conversation, you know. I I'm all for technology and you know, I I like when patients are more educated. I like when they read about it as long as they are not very rigid in their beliefs you know yeah uh but we're going to see a lot of that as well because you know there's a lot of uh, artificial intelligence and stuff is coming out so um yeah we see that so the take home message for me spirituality is really important and it's important in the areas that we may not think that it's important And certainly spirituality and medicine is something we should all think about. But let's let Dr. Shaw bring home that final message of what he feels. If somebody wants to hear the final bottom line message, I would say, you know, spirituality is great, you know, and it is tied to overall health and well-being and uh, you know, positive attitude, attitude of gratitude, mindfulness, those things go a long way. Most definitely well said, Dr. Shah. Thank you so much for your time and uh have a great rest of your day. Likewise, thank you so much, Darian, and uh looking forward to more conversations in future. Your favorite band's about to play a sold-out show. You got in over here with a friend and found a spot close enough to see the set list. They're definitely playing your song. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express, don't live life without it. Annie had an earache on a Saturday of all days. So her mom brought her to Minute Clinic at CVS, where you can see a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials like pain relief products, all in one visit. Even on evenings and weekends, you can even see us online with telehealth options. 
for quality, affordable care on your schedule. Visit MinuteClinic at CVS. That's how healthier happens together. Services vary by location. Prescriptions can be obtained at Pharmacy of Choice. Visit MinuteClinic.com for details.